Today's episode of What's Life Without Cricket is with Simon Tooth. Fantastic fast bowler, genuine swing bowler, but now known more for his commentary. He's commentated on every edition of the IPL right from the start. We talked to Simon about his cricketing journey, about the coaches who influenced him early in his career, the captains who influenced him, and also about his transition from cricket to commentary, and also talk about his other love, which is golf. So join me uh, and Anand Basu uh, on this uh, great episode of What's Life Without So Simon, welcome to What's Life Without Cricket and uh, the, the ceremonial uh, kind of opener for this is, uh, you know, uh, what, what would life have been without cricket uh, for you? Uh, like to hear about that. Yeah, um, gosh, it would have been vastly different. I think um, as a youngster, I didn't, I mean, cricket wasn't something that I was uh, always looking for or looking at as a career. Uh, my dad was a builder. Um, so I was, I've been a, a hammer hand and a builder through my school years and my school holidays since I was about 12 or 13, yeah. um, building pumpkin crates for export, building all that sort of stuff, driving forklifts uh, when I was 11, 12, 13, I learned how to drive in the building yard. So um, so that was probably my career. And even when I left school, um, I was I was building. So I, I spent three and a half, four years um, building uh, houses, flats, um, you know, lots of stuff. So it wasn't until I was probably 18, 19 that I became, that I even made a rep team, a rep cricket team. And then it kind of took off from there and obviously went to England. And I, I won't say I stumbled into it. Um, I was I was okay, but it's given me uh, an enormous and incredible life and, and a fulfilling life sort of post those, those early years. So without cricket, I might have still been building, I would imagine. So, so I, I think cricket's been such a huge lever in all our lives, uh, essentially. Uh, uh, Simon, uh, you know, uh, you said that around 18, you started kind of uh, getting noticed. Uh, who, were the, who were the coaches or who was the coach or the captain who kind of uh, saw you and said, hey, you know, this guy is good, let's, let's back him. Uh, and any memories from around that time of people? Um, the, the sort of the big influence in my early years, and even in those years, was always family. Um, my dad was uh, was a very good um, cricketer. He lost uh, about seventy percent of his sight in his uh, left eye, but he was a left-handed batsman, so okay. much like yourself, you know. So, but yeah, the right eye was okay. Um, and yeah, so he was a huge influence. And then my older brothers, my two older brothers, were very good cricketers. One of them probably better than all of us, um, but uh, didn't quite have the the cricketing nous to right. go further. And then my older brother Lincoln also played a lot of first-class cricket for Wellington. So it was just a family thing for us. Um, mainly, there was backyard contests were fierce. They were they were horrible, and I was always the youngster who we just had to do all the bowling. Um, so I never learned, I never learned how to bat. <laughs> so that was a bit of an issue for me. Um, the older boys always batted, and I just sat to bowl for hours and hours in the backyard. Um, so you know it was a family influence. And then I made a, a Northern Districts, which is our first class sort of scene. I made the under nineteen team, uh, and that was the first rep team I'd, I'd ever made. Had a reasonably good tournament, and then. That same year, um, I managed to uh, to make the Northern District side under uh, Chris Kugeline was our yep. captain at the stage. Chris played um, a, a little bit of Test cricket and a lot of first class cricket. I, I think Chris took Sir Richard Hadley's three hundred Test match wicket against India. 
Okay. Uh, Aaron Lal. Aaron Lal, I think it might have been. And uh, Chris took the catch off Sir Richard Hadley. So, um, you know, people will correct me if I'm wrong on that. But I think there's some sort of record or something around Chris Kugelheim. But he was the first captain I played under. And he had a really big influence on the early part of my career at that sort of at that stage anyways and I still still keep in touch and obviously he's the father of um, Scott Kugeline who's uh, who's now been at a few IPL franchises and played a lot of uh, cricket for, for New Zealand as well yeah yeah Fantastic. And Chris Kugelheim used to bowl a little bit of dibbly-dobbly medium pace as well, right? <laughs> How many of those did we have? How many of those did we have in New Zealand? <laughs> they were a dime a dozen when our surfaces were green and a bit sticky and, you know, the, the Kugelines and the Larsons and the Conies and, and those of years gone by, yeah. I, I remember in England, you know, you you have so many of those and uh, before, play, uh, before playing in the Bradford League, I played in the Central Yorkshire League in the second division. Mm -hmm. And uh, for two years, and there was this guy. He was he was like sixty five years old. I, I <laughs> and he would clean me up, you know, in the first first over itself. He would just come in and just let it yeah. soar. And I had like six decisions in my head that what do I do with this? Yeah. <laughs> well, how nice is the story at the moment? I mean, you, you read about Darren Stevens. Yes. Uh, you know, who's still going, what is he, 45 years of age yeah. and still going, still taking five wicket bags in, in county cricket. Yesterday, actually. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, uh, what a great story that is. But there is, for every every Darren Stevens at first class level, there's 20 of those in league cricket who are who are sort of post 35, 36, 37, but yeah. still able to just do a job. So, you know, and, and that's where we, you know, that's where you learn your grounding and you can continue to play for that long. It was, it's great. Growing up, Simon, club cricket was very, very tough in Mumbai, you know, and uh, very tough and really great bowling sides, uh, you know, uh, teams had. And and local bowlers would clean up the Vingsarkars and the Manjrekars and the Tendulkars of the world. They would yeah. clean them up, you know, literally. So, you, you, have, you have such fantastic cricketers and like I said, you know, I'm going to be talking to a few of uh, them as well. Uh, I think Anand, yeah. I'm going to ask you uh, something now. Yeah, well, I, it's it's great to hear the stories of club cricket and, and of how Simon stumbled into cricket almost, <laughs> just being a, a, a you know a family kind of thing. But I think he's being a little modest. Uh, being an Indian, it's impossible not to ask about that. Uh, seven for um, was the Boxing Day Test of '98, I think, at yeah. the Basin Reserve. Yeah. Um, I think you got all. I think you pretty much got the top five. It's yep. a very good batting lineup and set up that win for New Zealand. Did you just bowl out of your skin that day or were the conditions helpful or a bit of both? Yeah, a bit of both, son. And um, it, was a, it was a crazy day. Very rarely in Wellington do you get those really nice days. And it was, um, it was just a gentle southerly. So it, those days in Wellington, the ball actually can swing. Um, and it was just, uh, it just so happened that we, um, yeah, we happened to bowl first, uh, conditions were perfect and you just, you have very few of those days. I mean, I, I could probably count there on, on the great days I had in test match cricket, you know, you, you, you have, you have very few of them and, um, that was a magnificent sort of start because it was New Zealand's first ever Boxing Day test as well. And, um, as an at home, it was supposed to be the start of a, a bit of a tradition, obviously, you know, Australia had the tradition, um, South Africa. So it was just one of those situations where you couldn't possibly have asked for a better start. It was a weird start to the day though, because I actually forgot, I just had some, um, some issues around injuries and, and Jeff and sort of, I'm sure we'll touch on those a bit of bane of my, my cricketing career, but, um, I just had some inner made for my uh, cricket boots. 
and I forgot them. I left them at the hotel. So um, Sheila Graham, the, the wife of our manager, had to race back to the hotel about 15 minutes before the start of play, pick up my inner soles out of my room, race back to the ground. So five minutes before we were due to go on the park, I shoved the new inner soles into my boots and away I went. And yeah. that sort of became my, my, my lucky insoles for my new boots uh, from that moment onwards. Yeah, uh, the, the commentator also mentions that uh, New Zealand were. I, th- I think the previous Test match was washed out, uh, right? And and uh, the commentator mentioned that uh, New Zealand were hoping that you would be fit for this game. So uh, you were obviously, uh, you know, in pole position there. How did how did that uh, feel? You know, being the leader of that attack, uh, so to speak. Yeah, it was great. I mean, um, you know, we we had a, a team through that sort of late nineties time where. I think if we'd played together a lot more, we would have been even more successful. Um, so I, I look through that 90s and, you know, if you think back to uh, Chris Cairns, Dion Nash and, and myself, through that period, we played from 91, 92 when I started to 99, 2000 when I retired, we played less than five test matches together. Wow. Because we all at one stage had an injury or, or one or the other. So, you know, if we lined up with, with Cairns, Nash, um, Dool, Vittori in yep. the late 90s, yep. uh, you know, and then you had a McMillan or an Astle to do that, that fifth seamer's role, um, I, I think we would have had a lot more success. But we just, we were all, either Nash or myself or Cairns, couldn't bowl, could only bat. We were all injured at some stage or another through that, um, you know, through that period, which was tough. So... You know, when you had the opportunity to to lead the attack or to to do something special, it was it was a great feeling, and yeah, that was just you know it was one of those days, and that probably that ninety seven ninety eight time where I was I probably felt at my best. The injuries were, you know, I, I was in control of the injuries, yeah. um, and and I probably had my best sort of season and a half, two seasons. How how important to you was the technical side of fast bowling? Um, I not really important. Um, it was always a feel thing for me. Uh, more so, I kind of I judged the the bowling on on how I felt. Um, I didn't get too tied up in the technique. I knew exactly what I needed to be doing. Um, I knew how my action felt when it was at its best, uh, and I could feel what was wrong. And and I kind of worked out. You know myself that if, if I was a little bit leg side, I was obviously just falling away a little bit. Um, the, the, the wicket keeper was always a massive influence for me, and I still talk about this even with kids when I'm coaching kids, and I don't do a lot of it. The wicket keeper's gloves are always in the right place. Wow! You know, it, it's a simple, simple thing to think about. If you think about lining up when a wicket keeper's standing behind a left-handed batsman yeah. or a right-handed batsman, yeah. his gloves are always in the right place. That's the target. So you, you, that's the line. That's the line you're looking at. Now, if you're looking to swing the ball away, take maybe the wicketkeeper's left foot and work from there towards his gloves. If you're looking to swing the ball in, take the wicketkeeper's right foot, swing the ball from there into his gloves. And all of those little things. So they were they were just simple little triggers for me. And and I'll go back to the, the Nash Cairns scenario. We we coached each other. Right. And we didn't actually need a bowling coach in those days because we knew enough. I knew enough about those guys to to talk to them about their game. They knew enough about me yeah. um, and as Adam Perori did. So with that little yeah. sort of quartet, yeah. we were we were able to coach each other and, and figure things out ourselves. So even when I talk coaching nowadays, I don't I don't get too technical. There's, a, there's some real basics for me. Um, bowl, you know, for, and I, I like 
when I look at the, the, the Indian um, bowlers, for instance, uh, 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 Jasprit Bumrah, uh, Prasid Krishna, yeah. bowling over the top of the front leg, using every bit of height that you've got, Mohamed Siraj, um, you know, those are the guys that I look at and I think that they've got it right. They've got it right. And there's little technical things you can help with, but to me, it's you, you can't get overly caught up in the technical side of things. A lot of it is about feel. Uh, that's such a fantastic insight. I'd never thought about that actually, about the uh, where the keeper's gloves are. I think uh, I, I'll use that when I speak to bowlers as well. Uh, yeah. my, my father is an old school coach, you know, and I love these old school guys. And he once asked me, Jatin, do you know what right arm over means? Uh, so I said, yeah, you know, it's, it's the side of the you know uh, crease you're bowling from. So he said, no, it means right arm over the stumps. You know, and that yeah. itself then sets a few things in motion for you that you've got to come close to the stumps and bowl. You know, your run-up has got to be in in that sort of sequence. And uh, so, so these nuggets are are, are amazing. Yeah. Uh, uh, Anand, uh, you had a couple of things as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's impossible to talk to Simon and not ask about his injuries because I think uh, four surgeries on your knee and um, stress fractures, back problems. A slip disc. Um, how how hard was it to play through pain? Because you obviously must have been playing through pain for quite a lot of your career. Yeah, from very early on, I had, I had my first fracture on my first tour of Zimbabwe um, in 1992, and it, it never healed. Um, so from there, I, I mean, I had prolapsed disc, couple of fractures in my back. Um, knee obviously went at a very early age, so I've now got a full replacement. Um, so I've got a full right knee replacement, and they told me I was too young to have that done at, at 45, but I insisted it, I get it done so that I could have a little bit of peace of mind sort of later in life. Um, it, it just, it, it's a mental thing. That, that, that's a real mental thing, playing through through pain and, and just getting through days. I mean, there was days I could not bend past my knee to tie my shoelaces up. I had to get someone to tie my boots up. Yeah. Um, just to basically get on the field, but you you don't realise until later in life how much the damage is doing, I, I guess. But at the time, you just want to play. You want to play for your country. You want to play Test match cricket. And um, you know, I, I was taking pills at the end of, and not even pills. I was I was taking them other ways um, to just get through games at the back end of, of my career and. Look, it was it was damaging, and it became too damaging at the back end. And um, you know, that's uh, in the end, that's what stopped me from playing. And I retired at thirty, so I was relatively young, um, even even in the in two thousand. It's relatively young to be retiring from cricket, but I just felt that I couldn't give it my best anymore, and it was time to to find something else. So yeah, they they played a huge part, but they also they also build you. I mean, they make you a little bit stronger. They make you a bit more resilient when. It comes to certain things in in life, and um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change it for, for anything in the world. And uh, give, give, giving up what you uh, love to do and what you do really well can be very tricky. Uh, most sportsmen are in in this conversation, both of you left the game early because of knee injuries, coincidentally. But uh, in general, it can be very hard for people to give up the game or transition into something after that. Uh, to that end, you. Um, I think you'd pretty much given up playing first-class cricket. You were still playing the one-day game when you got a chance to go and play in uh, in the Netherlands, mm -hmm. and and briefly then thought about coming back as well. 
uh, what was that experience like? You know, having played Test cricket and then going to and playing in Netherlands, uh, playing and coaching. Yeah, I was. Um, so I think that was two thousand and three, and I'd been retired for two and a half years, uh, and I got a call from Alex O'Dowd, um, who was um, a, a guy who played a little bit of cricket against in New Zealand. He was at Hasisi in the Netherlands, and they had um, Paul. Oh, his name escapes me now. Um, played a little bit of cricket for, for New Zealand. Paul Hitchcock, correct. Uh, and he'd got, he'd been injured, so they lost their overseas pro for the last ten or twelve games. And Dowdy just said, "Look, would you come over?" And I said, "Mate, I haven't played a game for two years. Um, I, I don't know what sort of condition I'll be in." He said, "We will have a masseuse and a physio on standby every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday for you after the game if you can come over and play." Uh, and uh, look, I don't regret it one little bit. It was it was really hard getting back into the swing of things, um, getting back into bowling. But I loved it. It was it was a great nine or ten weeks in, in Holland. The cricket was of a better standard than I thought. Um, it was interesting playing on the matting as well um, in those early days. I've got some great grass surfaces now in Holland. But yeah, I, I certainly enjoyed it. It was a terrific time, and um, it was nice to get back and just do something after. A couple of years away from it, and and you know, and not really having thought too much uh, about the game at the time. Duli, uh, uh, the transition from playing uh, to let's say civilian life, right, uh, is is a tough transition. We've all been through it. What did you do for those couple of years? Did you did you go back into the family business, or uh, you know, what was it like uh, at that time? Yeah, I, I felt um, because when you retire young, you, you still feel like you probably could do what everyone else is doing out on the field. So I got away from it completely. We, um, an old friend of mine and, and I started a liquor business. We had a wine shop in a little place called Omokaroa in, um, in the Bay of Plenty, so not far from Mount Monganui. And um, yeah, we, we just, we had this little wine business. I learned a little bit about um, about wine and about selling it and about, um, you know, maturing wine and, and, and all those sorts of things, which was was really cool. Um, so that was the first year and a half, two years before I went to Holland. And then uh, I got a phone call from um, a radio station uh, called The Rock in Auckland, and they needed a sports reader, sports announcer, and a guy to help out on the breakfast show and just offer a little bit. So that was um, it. Was a really nice time because it completely got me away from the game of cricket, and so. I spent, gosh, I spent six years doing breakfast radio from the time I came back from Holland um, on a rock music station, um, talked to some of the greatest rock musicians of, of, of our time, you know, interviews with, with The Edge and, and Bono and oh. Dave Grohl. Um, you know, uh, we, had, uh, oh, we had Ben Harper in the studio, Jack Johnson, um, you know, Tommy Lee. These guys that would come into the studio, um, it was it was quite an incredible time uh, for for six years of, of just music and banter, amazing, and breakfast and breakfast radio, and it, it got me completely away from cricket, and that was that was a great thing because by the time I was asked to do some commentary, and I started with a little bit of radio before I moved into TV in two thousand seven, I I knew that I couldn't play the game anymore, yeah. and I think that's. That's the toughest thing that I talk to about about players that come straight from the field into the commentary box is if you walk into the commentary box and think you can still do what they're doing out there, then you won't be able to talk about the game in the right way. 
and that's the toughest transition, I think. And I, the toughest thing I see at the moment from these players that are coming straight from the field to the commentary box, that's the hardest transition for them. Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, uh, Duli, incidentally, uh, you mentioned The Edge. Uh, so, so, so Van Diemen's Land is my all-time favorite song. You know, absolutely your all-time favorite song. So, uh, which were some of the other musicians you you? I mean, this just sounds like a dream, right? <laughs> like for me, yeah, music are the two loves of my life, essentially. You know, uh, so yeah, I've I've always been a, a massive lover of music. Um, yeah, look, I mean, gosh, I, I'm trying to think back of the the, the first year I got to the rock. Um, I missed out on the trip, but my two um, co-hosts, Nick and Rog, ended up going to um, San Francisco and they watched um, uh, Metallica wow. um, produce and, and make St. Anger. Mm. So, um, so they got to go to San Francisco, which I obviously missed out on that, which was uh, a bit of a shame. But, I mean, Pearl Jam... Um, yeah, you know, just some of the great. I mean, I, I, I absolutely love Pearl Jam. If I sort of looking at my favourite um, favourite bands of, of that time, I think, and even now, I think they would be right at the top of the tree. Uh, and some of it, you know, it's amazing how some of these things pass on. The Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, my my son, who, you know, we haven't always spent huge amounts of time together with with my job and what I do, but. He, he plays the drums now and he, he's right into the Chili Peppers and he's right into his rock music. Uh, and, you know, and that sort of thing is just sort of passed on for some bizarre reason without ever really having talked too much about it. Well, was, um, I bought him some LPs. He started collecting vinyl yeah, yeah. now. And, uh, you know, so those little things. But yeah, they, they were great times. I went to some incredible concerts, um, talked to some amazing people, interviewed some, some of the greats of of music in those times and it still sticks with me you know it, it was it was really good fun i uh, i used to travel to portland a lot from uh, from amsterdam you know six seven eight times a year because nike's world headquarters are, are are in yeah and every time i would go there i would check ticketmaster to see if something's happening nearby <laughs> and uh, and uh, i i was lucky enough that one trip coincided with uh, with Mark Knopfler and uh, Bob Dylan wow. on the same evening, you know, uh, wow. back to back. Uh, so yeah. I, I took the plane to Philadelphia. It was such a fantastic trip. I met a met a friend of mine from my under fifteen days, whom I whom I met after twenty five years, essentially. You know, so he and I went for that concert, and it was amazing. Music just kind of uh, is 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 unbelievable. And my son, he's fourteen, uh, and uh, he listens uh, to Queen and Billy Joel. Uh, quite yeah, brilliant. It's amazing. It's amazing how cricket and music sort of cross, isn't it? Um, and I think because we have so much downtime, uh, music becomes a big part of it. Um, guys, a lot of guys play the guitar or or play a musical instrument or, or are learning. Um, and and it, there's always that argument. I don't know what it was like in the in the um, you know in the teams that you played, and whether it be with with uh, Mumbai or, or with India or any of those things, but it was always an argument on who had the music on the on the, what we used to call the uh, the jukebox, the ghetto blast, or whatever you'd like to call it, the big boom box in the change room back in the old days. <laughs> yeah. it, it was it was Vinod Kamli who was the uh, uh, yeah. who was the DJ in the Mumbai dressing room. <laughs> <laughs> that does not surprise me. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, unbelievable, and uh, you know uh, there would be music all the time, and uh, when when uh, when the music was off, you knew the game was hot. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so uh, amazing, amazing. Uh, 
डुलीवर व्हाट 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 डू यू लुक फॉर इन अ इन अ यंग फास्ट बोलर लाइक एंड एंड एन एक्सटेंशन ऑफ दैट क्वेश्चन इज व्हिच आर द थ्री ऑफ फोर यंग फास्ट बोलर्स फ्रॉम अक्रॉस द वर्ल्ड हु काइंड ऑफ एक्साइट यू नाउ um i look for i mean if i go back to the sort of the real to the younger age and we talk about um you know what do you need what do you need the one thing you uh, the one thing i hear from coaches that i disagree with time and time again at, at the under age group is look slow down and 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 bowl nice and straight don't slow down just bowl as fast as you can bowl it's my job to teach you how to bowl straight because you cannot coach pace yeah if you've got pace that's the greatest asset you'll ever have Yep. then i can teach you how to bowl straight and i can teach you how to use that pace but don't slow down and bowl straight because that that defeats the purpose yep. then the coach is saying well i can't do my job all i can do is tell you to slow down and and you know maybe if you slow down a bit you'll bowl a little bit straighter no 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 you bowl as fast as you like so that's one thing i will say keep bowling fast because not everybody has the ability to bowl fast yeah so so you know so so just do that if you can that's a great thing um around the world quick bowlers Uh look I mean I was always we had a great experiment with Lockie Ferguson. Now, I know Lockie's not young anymore, but we did an experiment with Lockie when I was doing the the, the cricket show with Sky in New Zealand on how to make bowlers fast. And Lockie was only a young kid, he was 19 at that stage. And we took him to um a javelin coach in New Zealand because we felt the javelin throwing and bowling was very very similar. Yep. Fast run, stop, prop, explode, that sort of thing. uh and and so we we did a bit of work with Lockie and and tried to get him from where he was at under 19 level to bowling a bit faster so that worked well um so you know he excites me when he's 100% but I I love watching um Lockie Ferguson you know I'm a big fan and I know he hasn't quite kicked on of Navdeep Navdeep Saini I I I think he's got so many great attributes hasn't quite kicked on yet but we might see a late developer in in Saini um how can you not be excited about Jofra Archer I know he's again not young but you know Jofra Archer Mark Wood yeah. I, I love seeing these guys bowling in at sets of, of, of 145 150 Prasid Krishna's got one of the better actions yeah yeah I think uh, of an Indian um cricketer he just he's just got to find that consistency yeah. uh, he's he's one of the guys that talk about short delivery stride bowls from over the top of that front leg nice and brace nice and straight um you know so that that sort of stuff um excites me I, you know and there's so many more there's so many more I could name but there's just a few that I I enjoy watching at the moment I I know he's not young but Mohammad Abbas uh, excites me a lot I love yeah. <laughs> so he's there or there all yeah. the time and he's kind of working on you you know he's yeah he's a he's a 6 inch taller Vernon Philander isn't he yes. <laughs> just a little bit you know um and look his record his start to test match career was was just phenomenal he's obviously going to be good in the uk uh, county cricket will suit him down to the ground he could have a really good career uh, you know in, in county cricket i think uh, eight point something right now in county cricket yeah yeah <laughs> thank god i don't have to i know oh, ridiculous you know uh, duli what what about uh, what about the way what about your approach to commentary i mean what what, what you know knowing you you're you're a you're a cerebral guy naturally intelligent what what is your what does simon dool as a product bring to the combox um I, i like to think i bring a relative amount of honesty and i always say to the the players and i've talked to the new zealand players about this and 
I will never say anything on television that I wouldn't say to your face. That, that's one thing that I will always maintain. If you want to talk to me about something I've said on TV, whether it be a criticism, whether it be something I've debated, um, come and talk to me about it. You've got my phone number and I'm happy to talk to anyone about it. And I think that's something that um, you have to gain. You have to gain a bit of respect by um, by being honest, but being fair. Uh, and and that, that's something I'll always uh, maintain. And, you know, and some people are more sensitive. Some players are more sensitive. And, and I find... So often I find that it's not the player, it's the family member who hears half the story yep. or picks one little bit out of it. And and then he messages the player or she messages the player and says, you should have heard what he said about you today. And it's like, well, hang on a minute. Go back, listen to it in full context and then give me a call and, and, and tell me whether you disagree. And if you disagree, that's, that's okay. We don't always have to agree. But, you know, I'm getting paid for an opinion and that's all it is. And everybody's got one. You may not agree with it. That's okay. You know, it's okay not to agree. So I like to think I bring a relative amount of honesty. I try and bring the, the, the viewer, I try and bring something that they can't see. It's easy to tell you what you can see, but I'm trying I'm trying to figure it out from a bowling point of view. So I'll make calls. I'll say, look, he, he's looking to bowl a slow ball. He's looking to bowl a Yorker. He's looking to bowl the bouncer. And I'll get it wrong. And I'm okay if I get it wrong because I'm making a call. I am saying that what I think what I think should happen, how I feel the game should play out. If you make calls, you will not get them all right. But that's okay. Yeah. You know, so I think that's my philosophy around it. And and it's enjoyment. And, and, and you know, 2020 is completely different in commentary to a test match. Yep. So you try and you try and bring those different um, variations to, to your commentary. And, and I'd like to think that people get a sense of me enjoying it because I absolutely love it. Yeah. 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 Just following up on on the, on Jatin's question about commentary, uh, radio at one time was pretty much the biggest thing. A lot of us grew up listening to a lot of radio commentary. It's uh, not as big anymore as it was before. Uh, and radio commentary requires a completely different skill set from television commentary, doesn't it? And and you've done a fair bit of both. So, is there one that you enjoy more? Uh, how do you approach the different mediums, so to speak? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I went back after doing, I, I started in radio and I went back to radio this summer in New Zealand um, for the first time in a long time. And I found myself getting caught out completely not saying anything because <laughs> you're kind of so used to television where you don't have to describe everything and don't have to point everything out. Whereas in radio, you have to, I have to tell you exactly what is going on. I have to tell you what the guy at Fine Leg is wearing if he's waving his flag around and, and describe and paint the picture for you. Whereas in television, the picture is there for you to see. I have to tell you what you can't see. So that's the complete, it's the complete opposite doing the two mediums. Um, I, I loved radio for the, the storytelling and, and the whole narrative of, of bringing, you know, bringing the, bringing the, the, the game to your ears as if to say, trying to bring you into the game, trying to make you feel like you're actually there. You are able to watch through my voice. Um, so that's, uh, you know, it's vastly different to, to television. I don't think I enjoy either one more than the other. I, I absolutely love them both. They, they are incredibly different. Radio is harder, I think. Um, some radio people will come to television and say, gosh, the, the, you know, this, the camera's on me. It's really difficult. I don't know what to say. I can't talk. Uh, to me, radio taught me everything that I know, and particularly the, the breakfast radio, the music radio 
taught me so much about live TV because as soon as you turn the microphone on, you're live. You don't get a take back. You, you don't get a rerun. You don't get to pre-record. You're live. And so when I do a pitch report or a, a toss or, or any of those things, I don't feel uncomfortable doing it. And when we're having this conversation, you know, we're not reading off a script. And so every now and then I'll try and remember, as I did before, Paul um, Paul Paul Hitchcock's name. You know what I mean? So when you're having a normal conversation, you're not. A, we're not news readers. Yeah. Yep. We're not reading off a teleprompter. Yep. We're just doing it. We're doing a job that that we've been asked to do because we played the game and we're learning broadcasting yep. along the way. So we're not going to get every word 100% right, script for script, word for word. We're going to pause every now and then. We're going to say um. Yep. That's okay. So just accept that it's okay to do that. It's, it's very interesting that you um, you said that a lot of your <clears throat> learning and uh, in cricket broadcast came from doing work on, on, a, on a music radio show. Mm. Um, because, you know, now all, almost every commentator uh, who's commentating on international cricket has played international cricket themselves. So they obviously have the cricket chops and you obviously have the cricket knowledge. Uh, having interests outside of cricket, um, how much does that help, do you think? In, in terms of, you know, giving you a little bit of perspective and also... Um, perhaps helping you not take yourself too seriously or put too much pressure on yourself. I mean, you, yeah. you, you have plenty of other interests outside. Yeah, it, it's a big thing for me um, is to keep my interest very broad, um, to not just have have cricket. Um, you know, and, and I think, uh, and, and, you know, it took me a little while to come to terms with this, the terminology, but when I talk to my old bosses uh, from radio or the guys that employ me now, whether it be, um, you know, ICC Productions or BCCI. I mean, I'm now a broadcaster in their eyes. I, I'm no longer a, a, a cricketer who, who, who does commentary. I have developed into a broadcasting position uh, and, you know, and I happened to do that and I once played the game. So I can kind of do both of those roles. And it took me a little while to sort of to accept that uh, because it's, it's hard when you've just been a cricketer and then you come into this. It's hard to to look at a, uh, at me in the same sort of a light as a as a Harsha Bogle, as a Tony Cozier, who I admired so much. Uh, Ian Smith. Ian Smith's become a, a broadcaster, uh, a, a genuine. You know, one of my I mean, one of the top guys I, I've ever worked with, and and I admire Smithy, and he's taught me so much along the way. So for that to to be compared or to be in the same sort of echelon as as those guys, as far as being called the broadcaster is a, is a really, um, you know, it's a great thing. It's a bit of a, I'd say an honor. It's kind of, it's a nice feeling to, to be compared and, and talked about in that sort of same realm and not just as a former cricketer who now commentates. Duli, uh, any, any nuggets uh, you've picked up from the Ian Smiths or the Tony Cozier's or the Richie Benos of this world? Um, they've all got different things. I mean, I, I look, I loved Tony Cozier's voice and, and my early days of listening to to cricket from the Caribbean on the radio when New Zealand would tour and you know some great uh, uh, there was a, a I think I was sort of what was I 16 17 something like that when New Zealand toured in 88 and one of the memories was um, it was Martin Crowe's 188. Yep. that he got against uh, the West Indies. And there was just some commentary that I thought about was was brilliant. It, it was it would go along the lines of, excuse my West Indian accent, but it would be 
you know, something along the lines of here comes Marshall, he's moving and he bowls, it's short, curl hooks, and that is through to Dujon. And it was like, you know, every time you hear, he hooks, and that is true to Dujon. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, he hooked 10 times and, and maybe never connected once. But you, you, you remember those little nuggets, those, those beautiful bits of commentary and, uh, sadly, I never got to work with with uh, Richie, with the great Richie, um, you know. But um, you know, Smithy, Smithy's he's so quick witted, and and he reads the game beautifully. And and you know, I mean, we'll never forget that commentary in, in the World Cup final. Yeah. Where, you know, moments that you that you hear in Smith and, and calling big games, um, the, the semi final South Africa against New Zealand at Eden Park in fifteen, uh, and just. Yeah, look, uh, he just, I, I love working with, with, with Smitty as, as some of the sort of my favourite memories in, in cricket have, have come with um, with him alongside me in the commentary box. Was, was Martin Crow uh, one of your favourite players? Yeah, absolutely. Still one of the best. I, I, people ask me about the, the best players I, I, I played against. I mean, I still put Martin Crow in the top three I ever bowled a cricket ball to in my life. Um, I, I think if, you know, if he plays in, in Australia, if he plays in India, he averages 55, uh, you know, because he was that good. And and you saw that when he got a surface that, that was conducive and not a green one that he had to bat on in New Zealand half his career. Um, you know, he got hundreds against great attacks. He got a hundred in Pakistan when New Zealand were completely undone by uh, Wazim and, and Wakar and reverse swing. And, uh, you know, he got that, you know, hundreds in Australia at the Gabba and, and the one in the West Indies. and. He was a he was a super player, and and um, you know Martin was the, the guy that got me into television. He was Sky TV when um, he rang me and he said, "Look, I've heard you're doing some radio. I'd love you to come across and do some television work with us." He was in charge of cricket at Sky at the time, and um, you know we were we were good mates. We were we were good mates, and um, you know we fought, we we argued about cricket, we argued about philosophies on cricket, but um, he was a great thinker of the game. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've met him uh, with Ravi quite a few times in India. Yeah. What a thinker yeah. about the game. This is unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I think, I mean, you might agree, Anand, I don't know, but he was a great writer. He was a really good writer of the game as well. Yes, yes. I think he was he was great all round, you know, uh, mm. as a cricketer, as somebody whom you could go and talk to, uh, you know, as a commentator, as a writer. I, I always thought, you know, when I saw him bat, I always thought that he had everything under control. You know, he, he knew what was happening. He had a plan. He had a plan to bat for five hours, add a good clip, you know, and, and nothing seemed to kind of surprise him. That's what I always felt about Sachin as well, you know, because he yeah. just played thousands of balls when he was a 10, 11, 12 year old. That nothing yeah. surprised him anymore. Uh, but but you're right. They're just top 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 player, uh, you know, of all time. Uh, uh, really, uh, let, let's let's talk last couple of questions about the IPL. Uh, who, who are your four teams uh, for, for the playoffs? Oh dear. Um, look, I think we're getting a bit of a separation now, aren't we? I, I think um, you know, Chennai have surprised me. They they really have, and they. They have this ability to surprise people, don't they? But just that they found a way, and I think that there was a couple of components that Chennai have been missing in the last couple of years that have really stepped up. Now, Rutraj Gaikwad, I know he came, he had a good back end last year, he got those 350s on the trot, and and they've stuck with him. And that's the great thing about Stephen Fleming, about MS Donny, they stick with people. They they if, if they believe you're good enough at game one, 
yep. they believe you're good enough in game seven. Yep. And and so they've given him uh, the leeway and they're now reaping the benefits. Buff Duplessis, without the, the burden of some of the things going on in South Africa, has been brilliant. Sam Curran ha- has made a, a difference. And of course, Jadeja is just on fire. If he yep. continues, they, yep. they go all the way in the, in the tournament. They you know they can compete. So they're, they're one, they're through, I think. Delhi, yep. Delhi have got a very, very good side. They're just... You know, they'll, they'll have a bad performance here and there, but they've got a side that can beat anyone on any day. Um, I thought I thought RCB would be much better this year. What it's shown me is they were very good on the slow surfaces in, in Chennai. Uh, they haven't looked as good since. Yeah. I wonder, I think they've still got enough points now to make it through, yep. but they will scrape through, I think. Uh, and Mumbai, they come good. This is their time of the tournament. They... They lull everybody into a false sense of security. I think, oh, Mumbai aren't so good this year. Well, they're not playing that well this year. They'll go bang, 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 bang. They'll win five in a row. They'll yeah. qualify and they'll be somewhere in the finals again. <laughs> so I, I think we're getting to that stage where it's becoming a little bit top and bottom already in, in the tournament. But, you know, that's the first time. Every year we've, we've got down to the playoffs and we don't know who's going to be there. And, you know, some years you're going to have some teams that just run away and some teams that don't get there. Sadly, for, for the likes of Rajasthan, they've lost all, you know, lost so many of their overseas players. They just can't find a way. Sunrises have had a terrible year yeah. uh, and I don't see them competing. And, you know, Punjab Kings, they've yeah. got players. They've got players. Yeah. Um, you know, if they keep on this little role, they, they may be able to find their way there, but it's going to be tough for them. Really, wouldn't you have batted Puran uh, a little higher for Punjab, right from game one, instead of Huda at four? Yeah, I, I think I would have, but I think they went left, right, left. Uh, they, they wanted Gale, Huda, Puran. Yeah. Um, you know, that's that's a sticking point for them at the moment. And now, what do they do? Now, what do they do? I mean, he's just having a wretched run. Yeah. And they've got the number one. They've got the number one T20 batsman in the in the world rankings sitting in their wings. But if he plays, David Milani's got to open. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what do they do? What do they do with that role? It's a tough one for for Kings. I think. Um, you know, that, that's their conundrum. Delhi's conundrum is, is around Stephen Smith. I, 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 you know, they've got to find a way to get Norkia in. Bring Rahani. You, you get, no, there's no difference to me between Ajinka Rahani and Steve Smith. Yeah. Absolutely. Just yeah. across the board, they will both give you exactly the same thing. But what Norkia gives you is ace, wickets, yeah. Yeah. brilliance. Yeah. So get him in, get Smith out, get Rahani in. Yep. And you'll need to replace a, a spinner, you know, from um, the Indian quartet as well. So that, that's their only issue. If they do that, they can win it. Uh, Duli, just digressing a little bit, uh, I, uh, I'd i love to hear your thoughts about Faf Duplessis. What what makes him tick? What are his what are his what are the couple of his big strengths? Mentally tough. He's mentally tough, and not only there's that. I think that and his will to to be at his best time and time again, to train. He is probably one of the best trainers in the game, even even at now. Um, works incredibly hard on, on his fitness and on his game. And you know what? He doesn't conform. He's got his own way. I mean, if you if you went and, and you know found a, a found a young kid and said, grip the bat like this and leave a big gap in the middle and take it out towards flaming point and then come in this way and I mean, nobody would coach you to do that. But that's what this great game does. It finds a way to allow anyone and everyone to play. It it found a way for for Lasith Malinga. Prior to him or or even now, 
for Boomerah. You wouldn't coach Jasper Boomerah's run up to anyone. Yep. <laughs> anyone that turned up like that, you'd say, mate, you, you can't run in like that. Why not? Why yep. not? It, that's what it does. I think Duplessis is just a street fighter, just a survivor. Mm. Like, you know, yeah. he, he, he battles uh, uh, every ball, uh, you know, in every innings, I think. No, no, yeah. great, even Chandra Paul, I mean, with that stance. Yeah. Jesus Christ, you know, you, uh, you, uh, at, at one point, the square leg umpire could give him out LB. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Smith, Smith, Lubbershane. I mean, you, know, you don't coach that. You don't coach that. But yeah, this is, you don't overcoach. I mean, you, you talk about it. You talk about your dad and, and, and you know, your influences and in, in your career. I mean, don't overcoach, kids. There's not one way, you know. In, in cricket, there is not one way. And I'm, I'm a, I, I absolutely love golf. Right? I'm, a, I'm a golf nut. You watch golfers play. They all get from square back to square. Yep. Now, how they get there doesn't really matter. Whether it be Jim Furyk going in and out or whether it be a pure swing of Colin Morikawa at the moment yep. or whether it be, you know, they all get from square back to square somehow. Yep. Yep. And it actually doesn't matter how they get there. Yeah, yeah. They just find a way, and and cricket and batting is like that. It, it, there are some fundamentals, but just because a guy does it differently, it doesn't make it wrong. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, so, so you watch a lot of golf uh, on a daily basis. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm always watching videos, trying to get better. I, I always get the clubs out in the hotel room, and I'm swinging, and uh, I'll leave I'll leave the hotel room, and there'll be a little dent in the carpet. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, well, I shouldn't really be saying that, should I? I'll get, I'll get set the bill now. <laughs> I should bring my own little bit of matting to it, shouldn't I? Um, but yeah, look, I, I, I love the game. Absolutely love it. And uh, uh, the IPL is hotting up uh, this year. Uh, which, which has been your favourite season in the IPL so far? Um, oh, goodness me. Favourite season in the IPL. Um, wow. I'll get back to games that I called and I'm trying to re- remember the, the, the final I called in Pune when um, Chennai lost last yeah. ball uh, yeah. sorry when um, RPS it was the rising Pune supergiant then wasn't it sorry uh, when they lost last ball and Steve Smith yeah the, was it extra cover I think I was calling that got caught yeah yeah. Uh, I, I, you know that was to me when I, I think about games that I call and moments that I'm in and I'm thinking wow it was just it was a special time to be to be calling those sorts of those sorts of things Um you know, this this is a tournament and, and a country that is that has given me incredible um, you know times. Uh, I've been here since year one, um, and you know, fortunate to be invited back every year. Um, done the playoffs and the finals, I think, almost every year since eleven. Uh, look, it, it's just yeah, I, I, I've got a, a, a real love for for India, for the people, for the food, for. You know the way that they they do things here, and it, it just keeps me coming back. And um, you know, if I'm going to pick a favourite, maybe that was one of the games that I can remember. But they they do tend to to morph into one a little bit when you do so many of them. Yeah, you never know. This this year could be, uh, could bring your best ever yet. Never know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every every year it might. Yeah. yeah. Anand, you wanted to ask something. Yes, before before we let you go, Simon, thanks so much for your time and your patience. Uh, you talked about coming to India over and over, uh, you know, over the over a number of years. Uh, because we live here, perhaps we don't see how how much it's changing, but it is changing. 
how have how how has that been for you? How, what have you noticed in terms of how the country has changed from the first time you came here to now? Um, well, look, the, I guess in, it's so much um, infrastructure. Um, you know the 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 IT sector that we hear about so much. The the growing for want of a better term, the growing middle class, the the, the ability for, um, you know, for anyone to do anything in this country. And I think cricket's one of those things that kind of proves that. And, and there's been so many feel-good stories around around the IPL and around cricket and and getting players from, from a background that you would never imagine, um, making it to the top tier, making it to an Indian team. Um, some of the best hotels we stay in in the world. Um, some of the best service I've ever experienced in the world, uh, in India. Um, you know, the, there's still, there's still the old India, which, which you love and, and you see, but there's a, there's a new India as well. And, and some will say it's not always good, um, but it's progress, isn't it? It's, you know, it's moving forward. It's, it's progress. Um, I mean, Mumbai at the moment, uh, you guys all know very well, is, is up the city's dug up, isn't it, with this the rail system and things, and it, it, it creates havoc with traffic. And, you know, Delhi had it for years, and, um, you know, there's more and more people on the roads. But I think the, um, you know, the, the, the love for the game has never died. Um, I think in some ways, I think cricket knowledge used to be so, so high particularly in the South, the Bangalores and Chennai, the knowledge was so, so high. I, I feel that in some ways that the IPL has brought about um, staff fans rather than cricket fans, which is not a bad thing. It's attracted a different type of um, person to the game. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I still want to see that that absolute cricket tragic yeah. in an Indian fan as well and I see that time and time again I mean the amount of stats and things that are thrown at me on social media from people and and yeah. cricket knowledge when I say something wrong um, but I actually love it and I love the interaction yeah. around it um, so yeah look it's changed enormously um, uh, the, the country's changed people have changed but there is still that that part of India that you love and you can find um, and and there's the, the 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 new India as well, which has developed and become a. I mean, it's become a superpower. Uh, it, it's a very self-sufficient uh, um, country, and 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 yeah, as I say, I mean, I, I get some great friends, some some wonderful people um, in India, and and I'll I'll never not be back. Fantastic, uh, Duli. Thank you so much uh, for your time. I I uh, really enjoyed it, and. Uh, you know, once we are out of uh, this bubble, etc., let's let's catch up and uh, you know have a uh, have a good good chat about uh, some of the other things as well. Uh, all the best for the IPL. I really enjoy uh, listening to you. I think uh, uh, yourself. Uh, uh, I love listening to Ajit Agarkar as well. I think Ajit's yeah. really really different point of view. I think Deep Das Gupta is great. You know, uh, so so I so all the best and uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you so much uh, for doing this. Cheers, cheers guys. Thanks thank so you much, very much. Thank no worries, Alan. Cheers, Mary. Bye. Do like, share and subscribe it. Uh, thank you for watching. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we will be back next week uh, with a new exciting guest. So, see you. Bye.